0: The first time I traveled with the Seattle Presbytery uh, to Barranquilla, Colombia, I didn't speak almost any Spanish at all. I knew what I would call a little bit of what I would call TV Spanish, Um, things that I picked up from watching television shows that occasionally had a Spanish character or were set in Mexico or Spain or something. So I knew things like Si and Gracias, Una Cerveza, Por Favor. Those were in, you know, a lot of the college films where people were on spring break in Mexico. So after a week of being there in Colombia and spending time with these incredibly wonderful and warm, welcoming people after spending days visiting churches and programs and farms and talking about the ways that we serve God, uh, through translators, of course, we had one last night together to say goodbye. And during a time of worship at the beginning of this evening, uh, we were each invited to sit in in a big circle in quiet and one by one, as we felt led, we were to get up, walk to a table that was in the center of the circle that had a big empty bowl in it, then uh, put a rock into this bowl that this rock had been given to each, each person had received one on the way in. We were to put the, the rock in the bowl and then say a one word or phrase that would sum up our experience of the week. I wanted to try to honor our Spanish-speaking hosts from the week by saying something in Spanish. So I turned to one of my Seattle colleagues who is originally from Barranquilla herself, and I asked, what's something I could say in Spanish that would be meaningful for them? And she had the perfect answer. There was a very popular song on the radio that had the perfect phrase. In English, it translates in Barranquilla, I leave my heart. Beautiful sentiment, right? In Barranquilla, I leave my heart. And I really, I really felt that. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So she teaches me the phrase in Spanish. In Barranquilla, me quedo. I go over it and over it in my head, and I'm just, you keep repeating, I've got it. And I, and until I've got it. And then I knew it was the right time, and I stand up, and I walk slowly to the table, you know, with all this solemn gravity, and I put the rock in the middle of this now almost full bowl, and I declare in remarkably clear Spanish, in Barranquilla I leave, but it turns out that I didn't get my vowels quite right, and I didn't leave my heart in Barranquilla, But something else that isn't quite so poetic. Uh, Something that's better left in El Baño than in public. That has haunted me ever since. Every time I go, they still get a kick out of that one. But I tell that story on myself to illustrate how careful all of us must be in translation. In that story, it was a matter of mistranslating language. My intentions were good and I was really close. It was just two vowels, but I got them wrong. And so that little slight mistake in sound made a major mistake in meaning. With our scripture for this morning from Peter's first letter, we need to be very careful about our translation, not only of language, but also our translation of culture. In this part of Peter's letter, I just read one verse, because in this part, in a larger sense, he confronts some very sensitive areas of history and human relationships. I've been very aware all week long of how easy it would be uh, and is to make even a small mistake of translation that will cause a major mistake in message. And even though my intentions are good, that is no guarantee that things will come out right. In fact, these issues, these topics, are sensitive enough that I only read the one verse from a much larger section that I want us to look at this morning. Really, it's the section from middle of chapter two, verse 13, all the way through the opening verses of chapter three. But I thought it was uh, important that I give a warning. I didn't feel comfortable in just reading through those texts without prepping us for that, I felt it was important to give a warning that some of the scripture could be triggering for some of us. In this passage, this extended passage, Peter confronts the reality of relationships that his sisters and brothers in Christ faced as, in one sense, people ruled, by an unjust emperor, by people who in some, sens- uh, uh, some situations were enslaved, were slaves. And people in marriages very different than the legal relationship of marriage that we have here in the United States. And I'm also very aware that as a well-off white man in the United States, I embody far too much of what can be triggering, triggering, excuse me, triggering for people with these issues who have to live a very different reality. Yet we are who we are, and these scriptures are a part of God's word that we are called to hear. And part of what I believe God may want to communicate to us is revealed precisely because these are tri- triggering subjects that we need to be careful with because of the history of our country and even present-day circumstances. In the end, I believe Peter's original message is one that all of us can benefit from being reminded of often. And ultimately, his message is that in every relationship that we have, God wants us to treat others with the respect of Jesus Christ. And I mean that in both senses of the respect of Jesus Christ. Similar to the respect that we would give Jesus Christ Similar to the respect that Jesus Christ gives to every human being. That's why the one verse that I did read from the larger section was verse 17. I believe that this acts as somewhat of a summary of this whole passage. I'll read that one again. Show proper, the NIV has it, show proper respect to everyone love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the King. A more literal translation of that very first phrase is honor all. It's as simple but as incredibly sweeping in breadth as that, honor all. This is a command encompassing all human beings as both givers of honor and receivers of honor. Honor all. The implied subject of that command is anyone essentially who hears it. And the object of the honoring is this sweeping noun, all. All human beings. I say human beings specifically, rather than all of creation, because of the way this larger passage of Peter's letter begins. In verse 13, most versions translate this verse as it here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme lord, but submit yourself to the Lord's for the Lord's sake every authority instituted among men. But I agree with a former professor of mine at Regent College, Peter Davids, who translates in instead, submit yourselves to every created human being on account of the Lord, whether the king or whomever. Submit yourselves to Every created human being on account of the Lord. And about translating it that particular way, he writes, this first phrase is diff- a difficult phrase that has also been translated to every uh, to every human institution or to every institution created for people. But he goes on to say that the word created being to every created being. In classical Greek was used sometimes for the founding of a city but never used for abstract concepts of institutions. And further in biblical Greek God creates the world and all creatures and it is in that sense that the word is used 17 other times in the New Testament. Since the world as a whole and animals as well are creatures, the adjective human, he says, needs to be added here because the non-human creation is not that to which humans are called to submit. But to humans, we are. Peter is saying in this extended passage from chapter 2, 13 through chapter 3, about verse 7 or 8, that the fundamental stance of all human beings that all human beings should have with other human beings is honor and respect. The fundamental stance that all human beings should have with all other human beings is honor and respect. Again, honor all, or even as the NAV has it, show proper respect to everyone, unfortunately for us, that verb that Peter used in verse thirteen to express a very uh, to express a very similar idea, the verb that appears as the guiding verb for this whole section and each of the relationships that Peter addresses is a verb whose English translation has taken on a lot of horrible connotations. In Greek, the verb that Peter uses is hupotagete, most often translated as submit. Peter uses this verb as the guiding principle for Christians in certain very certain specific relationships. In this section he covers people who were subjects of the Roman emperor. And at the time that Peter was writing, Nero was the emperor. He uses this uh, for people who were economically enslaved. He uses this for wives whose husbands were not believers of Christ, followers of Christ. And he uses it for husbands who were believers. The general consensus is that these were the people, those who were subject to the Roman emperor, uh, those who were enslaved in in household service, uh, wives whose husbands were not followers of Christ and husbands who were believers. The idea, uh, the thought is that this is, these were the people who made up the congregation to whom Peter was writing. For most of these people, the message that they had first received of the gospel that they were loved by God and valued by God, that message gave them a whole new status among one another in the church. They were now aware that in God's eyes, all human beings are of equal worth. And God alone was their Lord. However, Peter also knew that they still had to live within systems that did not honor those ideas. They still had to live within systems in which they were not equally valued. Most of those to whom Peter wrote had literally no legal rights. Peter is seeking to guide them as best he can in situations where he knows they will not be treated as they should be. But there is also not much that they will be able to ever do about it. And therefore, Peter... For Peter, to write hupetagete, to submit, means two things. As far as their own actions are concerned, respect everyone. Do your part to respect everyone. And when they are treated unfairly, look to Jesus for their example of how To get through that in verse 21, he writes. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He quotes extensively from that whole passage in Isaiah that we heard about the suffering servant. That Jesus, <clears throat> even though he didn't deserve the, the punishment, the, the abuse that he received and death, <clears throat> allowed it to happen. Peter, I believe is trying to be pastoral here. He does not address the whole realm, the whole concept of autocratic government or the whole realm of slavery or the whole realm of marriage. I believe he's trying to equip his sisters and brothers in Christ to be able to live through very difficult circumstances. However, it is also important to note that the one group with power that Peter does address, it's important to note what he writes to them. In chapter 3, verse 7, Peter writes, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, <clears throat> excuse me, and treat them with respect as. And again, the, the, this is one of those spots where the cultural translation is very uh, un- difficult to get right. Uh, The the way it translates is uh, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Several things about this, though. First of all, husbands in the same way. What does in the same way refer to? Well, it refers to wives chapter three, verse one. Peter writes, wives, in the same way, be submissive, which refers back to when he's giving commands to servants. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters, which again goes back to the very first thing he writes. Everyone, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every created human being. Peter is calling on all people to be respectful and honoring of of everyone else, including husbands, who wouldn't have otherwise been called to this. But he's saying in the same way as everybody else, in the same way as wives, in the same way of servants, submit yourselves, husbands, So to the ones who have power, he is saying, as well, submit to one another, honor all human beings. Peter reminds husbands that, again, in God's eyes, wives and husbands are equal. And NIV does a poor translation when they say, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as heirs, treat them with respect as heirs with you. It literally is co-heirs. And that co is incredibly important. Peter is saying they are equal in God's eyes in terms of inheritance of the kingdom. Peter reminds husbands that in God's eyes, wives and husbands are equally co-heirs, even though the husbands alone had legal power at the time. Peter still calls to them the same standard of self-giving as Jesus does of all persons with power. And that's why the gospel passage is so important. Jesus says, you see how other people do it, how they lord it over others. Not so with you. I mean, he even uses the slave. If you want to be great and powerful and a leader, you need to be the slave of others. Again, the, the, the cultural as well as literal language translation is very sensitive here, but I think we, we get at the sense that both Peter and Jesus are saying, especially you with power, you need to know that in God's eyes, you are equally called to serve and to submit and to respect and honor every single person. Sadly, throughout the history of the church, far too many wealthy white men especially did not hear God's voice speaking to us through the words of Jesus and Peter. Instead of using these words submit to one another as a guide for our own actions, we have instead used them as a weapon to manipulate, abuse, and oppress others. Telling others you are supposed to submit, not telling ourselves we are supposed to submit to others. If we had listened and followed, our lives would have been a part of God's plan to subvert the evil use of power in this world. Again, the truth is, as Peter alludes to here in God's eyes, all human beings are equally worthy of love and care. And the world would be a very different and a far better place if people with power followed the example of Jesus Christ in serving others and how Jesus used power. As a wealthy white man in the US and as a wealthy white male preacher, specifically, I feel it is vital for me to declare in no uncertain terms, exploitation and corruption by governments was and is always wrong and evil. Slavery was and is always wrong and evil. And domestic abuse was and is always wrong and evil. Peter's words to submit ourselves to every created human being on account of the Lord, those words were never meant to condone individual or systemic oppression or abuse. They were meant to undermine the systems of power that Jesus's followers were living in. In God's eyes, every human being is to be fully loved and fully cared for. As followers of Jesus Christ, Peter's words encourage us not to seek to be served, but to serve others, to honor all human beings, to submit to one another in order to subvert every system that harms. May the translations of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight. Amen.